Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations. Always a pleasure to be here with my man, Z, and Caitlin, our technician, who's going to make sure that everything runs smoothly. So today, Z, you and I were talking about meeting people where they are. And this is an interesting topic. I'm going to give our audience a preview or maybe just a recap of the conversation we were having. You were saying that when we don't meet people where they are, human interaction shuts down. You have no common ground. You get extreme polarization like we see today in the political arena. You lose the opportunity to interact with others, to grow, to develop, to nurture. So this is a pretty big topic. And what do we mean by that, meeting people where they are? I'll just share some of the things that I've been thinking about this past week. I've been feeling a bit of difficulty interacting with people, maybe some disappointment, maybe a certain amount of expectation, maybe at times that we don't even speak the same language. So I deal with people at times, for example, people that I work with, and they tell me one thing, and they might say, I got this, I'll take care of it. It means something different to them than it does to me. A lot of the people on my team, for example, it's a generation, maybe half a generation younger than I am. And their idea of what needs to be done, how far to take something, how much to do independently versus waiting for direction, we don't sync up. So I hear one thing and I'm expecting that they're going to go and turn around a paper that they're writing or they're going to put a presentation together and it's going to be done and it'll be ready to go. They're waiting for me to tell them what to do. It doesn't always sync up. And at times I feel like I'm not getting what I expect and you're not delivering what you committed to delivering. So that's been throwing me off a little bit. Then I think about some more personal relationships in my life. And I think about my wife, for example, who suffers from anxiety. And she's got a habit. It's kind of funny, Z, because you tell me that I double check and triple check things. And maybe I do. But I call my wife out on this all the time. Because when something is bothering her, she'll look for reassurance. So she'll repeat the same thing three times or four times or five times. Do you think this is okay? Do you think this is a problem? Do you think this is going to be all right? We should be okay. And just being around that at times makes me very physically uncomfortable. I don't like being around that anxiety. My skin starts to crawl a little bit. I feel like I just want to jump up and leave the room. I'm trying to be supportive, but my body language is saying something else. And so that leads to confrontation at times. And in both these examples, I've been reflecting a bit on what I should do. Because on the one hand, I could say, fuck the world. They're all disappointing me. They're not living up to my standards. On the other hand, if I'm feeling this way every time I'm interacting with people, maybe it's my problem. Maybe I need a better strategy for going through life and easing the friction of dealing with people. Maybe I need to change my expectations and that brings us to our topic. Maybe I just need to meet people where they are, number one, except that we might have different views about life. We may say similar things in words, but they, mean, they may mean different things. So there may be a language barrier. It could also be that people have things that irritate me, but there's still a lot to be grateful for. That's one of the things that's been helping me in this last week. Not focusing so much on what's going wrong, but stepping back and saying, okay, yeah, there might be some things that I don't love, but look at all the things this person is actually doing for me. They are making my life easier. In the case of my wife, she's deeply committed to us. She's a big supporter of me and everything that I'm trying to achieve. There's a lot of value in that. So can I fall back on gratitude, take some strength and perspective from that gratitude, and the, let, and the rest just let go, learn to accept, accept people, for 
differences in opinion, for biases in the way that they process information, for habits that I find irritating. Because I'm sure that people look at me and can find many things that are wrong with me. You and Caitlin could probably do a multi-series podcast on that, the way that I go over things too many times, micromanage, whatever it is. Uh, So with that perspective, I think life becomes a bit easier, and I just feel more at peace if I have that perspective and I can focus on the gratitude instead of spinning my mind around what's going wrong. I stop all of the mental churn. I get back to more of a place of stillness and contentment. And of course, the relationship improves because then there's less of this contentious feel. So having that perspective, being able to meet people where they are, I'm seeing that it can really improve my well-being. It can improve the relationships that I have. And in talking to you, Z, it's It's a fairly frequent problem. You've mentioned this a number of times in regard to yourself. You've said at times you're comfortable being alone because you'd rather be alone than try and change someone and force them into a mold that they don't fit. Because from your experience, it's just not going to work. It's going to be wasted time and wasted effort. So either you meet them where they are or you decide to disengage. And that's a more efficient strategy for going through life. Talk to us a bit about this problem. How do you see it arising, either drawing from some of what you've seen with me or other people that you work with who are around Dharma? What are some of the typical ways that this problem manifests? Well, here it is. As I listen to you and, and, and we interact with all manners of temperaments, right? What we're dealing with is a conflict of temperaments. And the idea of being disappointed, right? So that means that you have appointed a certain behavior, certain actions from, and that's not happening, so you are disappointed. So there's a disease in the appointment of how you want to be related to or your, the response you want from others. And if you think about it, there is a inherent flaw in that thinking is that the only person that we have sway over is ourselves, uh, that we can have calculable sway over. We can manipulate others, we can convince, cajole, try others, but it's not an exacting science. With yourself, it's an exacting science. You know yourself. So why are you disappointed with people Um, because, well, they're not what you want them to be. If we really think about that, you can see the problems that are built into that. What if you observe, study, get feedback from people, you say something, you see how they respond, and you learn. And you say, okay, I understand that when I say left to this person, that means just slightly off-center. It doesn't mean hard left. So in order to get this person to understand what I'm saying, I'm going to have to say extreme left. And then they'll go slightly to the left or extreme right. And they'll go slightly to the right because that's how their temperament, that's how their being processes the information in which I'm sharing with them. Because remember, it's not just the information. It's the person you're talking to. It's their whole background. It's all of those things. So the less you have projections of appointment onto people, the less you will be disappointed. And it's hard. And the closer people are to you, the more challenging it is. That's why when we talked earlier before we started, I said, let's look at family relationships. And those are the original relationships you learn to proportion temperament and behavior with people you go out and meet in public. Thus is why oftentimes your friends are very different than family members. The friends you choose in your life rarely share the same temperament as family members because you chose them. You didn't choose your family. Now when you go out into the world and you want people to do certain things or work with you a certain way and it doesn't quite come out right and you say, I was so clear on what I said. No, you were clear to yourself. So before you know you have clarity with them, you have to assess, consider have record of 
What was their initial response when I said this, this, or that? Oftentimes, I found myself in challenging situations. I have a, a business here, and I'm very security conscious by some people's standard. So I'll say to people, whenever you come in, lock the door. Sounds simple enough, right? Whenever you go in and come out, lock the door behind you, either way. And how often, Caitlin, have I had to say or run up and close or lock the door? Well, because there wasn't, I didn't yell it out, I didn't scream it out, I didn't display dread or urgency with the request. So they didn't take it as a hard request. They took it as a suggestion. It's just like people doing what they call a California stop. They see a stop sign, they just drive right through it. That stop sign for them was a, sugge a suggestion. And now when the cop shows up and says, hey, you ran the stop sign, they say, no, I didn't. I just coasted through it. Well, you didn't stop. You actually coasted through the sign, which is not stopping. For them, they were stopping in the, in the sense of rhythm. There was a lull in the rhythm of flow. That is, is similar to a stop to them. So you have to clarify to them, no, stop means the absolute end or cessation of movement of the vehicle. Then they say, oh, okay, right? And it requires a certain amount of education and the tweaking of that intelligence factor. So when we find ourselves disappointed, hurt, be feeling betrayed by people, um, is it really them or is it us? I always say as a safety measure, you look at you, and whenever I felt really deeply disappointed by people, even if I have that disappointment and it is heavy on my heart, I always say, let me look at my role. Where was I at earlier on the path of this disappointment? Let me backtrack this disappointment. Let me follow my footsteps back to right at the cross-section of appointment and disappointment. Well, it's because I saw certain things and features in their behavior and I wanted it to be another way. Um, I don't like spontaneity. I'm not a person that enjoys surprise parties, uh, a sudden change of direction. I'm very boring when it comes to things like that. I love mundane. I, I thrive on mundane. The rituals of routine. Yet there are people in my life that they like, that they call that exciting. I call it nerve-wracking. Um, they think surprise parties are adventurous and thrilling. I find it a betrayal of trust. So neither one is right or wrong. But let's look at where all those things come from. My Disdain for surprises comes from too many knocks at the door at two in the morning that a relative was dead. Too many times that somebody didn't show up and they never showed up again. I made a pact with the universe that I choose no surprises. And so that means good and bad. For me. Just for me. Not for anyone else. Just for me. It's my pact with my destiny, with my reality. But I accept that others don't have that reality. They don't have that correlation. They don't have those hauntings. And in doing that, it gives me a degree of tolerance, but also a higher skill in avoiding those situations and learning how to wordsmith in the right way to make it very clear with people who care about me, you don't need to wrap gifts for me. If you want to see me peeling a gift open and being super excited, you don't need to do that. Just hand me the gift. All right. I'm just glad you're alive. I'm glad you're here with me. If you're going to give me something, give it to me. But you don't, you, don't, you don't have to go out of your way to wrap it up. But I do understand that there are people that like that and they have different, a different life construct. So I try to accept them for where they're at and every now and then I'll go wrap a gift. My kids know I walk through the door. If I have something for them, it's right in my hands. It's not wrapped up. None of that. They're real happy to get it. There's no surprise element. I did it because I, I enjoy uh, their smile on their face, but I don't like the weight, the anticipation, the anxiety, the pressure of wondering what's something. I got enough problems, okay? That's me. 
but I accept that that's not everyone's way. Now, as an art in teaching, whenever I teach people, I never teach everybody the same way. I never teach them. Also, when I work with clients and I'm offering health services, three people could have the same problem, but each one has a slightly different temperament. So how you discuss it, how you show it, how you remedy it, and how you offer the protocols of remedy can be infinitely different. Caitlin, you've seen that. A lot of people have the same, let's say they have uh, uh, lumbar spine problems. You look at them, they obviously have some kind of abdominal issue or upper thoracic issue. I explain how the spine works. I watch them and I said, please share with me what I just shared with you. And often they'll say something completely different than what I just said. So I'll say it another way so that they can interpret it in a way that they can use that information to benefit their, their health. I don't make them understand the way I speak, the way I frame the world. I accept them for where they're at. So by doing that, I'm able to affect a high degree of progress, remedy, and mitigation of human suffering. When I teach classes, you'll often see that I put a student in my position. And then I will coach them afar and offer small critiques and nudges to help them become a better teacher. Then when they see the results of that, they'll go, wow, I never thought about that. I was explaining to uh, Pretty Tony today when he was teaching classes, brain architecture, why different people process information a certain way. Why did I tell him that? Because he spoke in vague and ambiguous terms. When you do that and leave holes and you give people too many choices, nature pours a vacuum so other things will flood into that empty space, which I've talked to Caitlin about too. They talk in a non-committal way. In doing that, it's so vague, you say it's, it's like giving directions and say, well, go down the road and turn where you feel like it. Well, what the hell does that mean? Should I turn where I feel like it. Or when I was in Washington, D.C., people would have a way of speaking. They said, go down there till you can't go any further. What do you mean till I can't go any further? Till I run out of gas? Till the road ends? Till the car blows up? Till I get mugged? What, what do you mean till I can't go any further? I need an absolute metric. How many kilometers? How many miles? And then go north, south, east, west. Tell me something very clear. That's how mind mind works. Not everybody works that way. So I put up a student today. Uh, some of you know Pretty Tony, he was teaching the class, he's becoming a great teacher, and then one of the problems he had was he would be apologetic and vague in giving instructions. Well, maybe, okay, well, if you feel that way, yeah, all right, that's cool, Anything, everything's okay. No, not everything's okay. They need very clear direction in order to help them become well and master their practice. So once I showed him how to grid out the choreography of movement and he saw the people were benefiting from that, that gave him a satisfying experience as a teacher to hold on to that method that was very different than his more solitary method of doing the things he normally does in his life that don't require him to be an instructor or to guide people into a health and wellness um, uh, protocol. And he got it. Then later on, I was able to have a similar discussion with him that I have with everybody about brain architecture. Um, understanding the way the brain works, how it processes. He says, oh, wow, I'd like to get a book on that. Because he wanted it then, but he wouldn't have wanted it six months ago or whatever, because now he sees the reward of clear speech, clear direction, simple and plain instruction. And it helped him grow as a person. But he would not have done that a year ago or six months ago. So I had to accept him for where he was at. Even though for me, it was irritating and frustrating because it reminds me of Beavis and Butthead. A lot of these kids in this generation, ugh, ugh. <laughs> you know, I don't understand what that means. But I also understand that's where they're at. They didn't grow up the way I grew up. They didn't live through the circumstance I lived. That doesn't make them bad people. Also, Vin, when you and I 
deal with people in the business of Dharma media. We've had to go through a bunch of different people. And what we find is when you get angry, you say, well, wasn't I real clear with this person? And then I'll say, well, it seems like we should be real clear with this person. But if we don't know what we want from them, if we don't understand the language that they speak, we cannot request of them what we think are simple instructions, commands, and demands of them because there is that vortex, that vague area, the forbidden zone of the mind that deals with all of life experience and where they're at in terms of translation, right? You know how in the Hindi language, you kind of speak backwards and sideways. If you interpret certain Hindi words or phrases into English, it sounds really weird, you know? Keap kuchkano or keap kuchkaingi, right? Keandi, you know, you ask, a drink I have, may I? A drink I have, may I? What the hell did you just say? But for that algorithm of thought and that way of processing information, it flows really well. But if you're not familiar with it, you try to convert it into an English style of speaking. And you could say something like, Daniwad uh, Nehi, thank you, no? They don't say that. They don't say, no, thank you. They see that thank you, right? Or F you. They don't say no, thank you, because thank you is gracious and has gratitude. So if you understand the temperament of the people, the evolution of language, how they flow, you can actually understand the language much better, right? And you can understand not only the language, but how they process information. And then so you can't get them to be where you're at. You need to be where they're at. It's like I told you before, whenever someone says to me, there are certain words that are red flags for me in conversation. And Vin, you know that. You know how I react. I immediately kind of armor up and the person's kind of on my not too cool list. They're just certain phrases. Why? Because for me, they represent a display of character. Relationships, friendships to me are sacred. They're rare and they're, they're very deep. So when people just use the word love real loosely, I'm immediately put aback by them. If someone refers to me as buddy, they're pretty much not somebody that I'm going to necessarily be deeply connected to. Right? There's a few others. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, thanks, bro. <laughs> That's some good insight, bud. I think, Z, when you're talking, it brings up a couple of ideas that are important for me that I'm taking away. One is you got to know yourself. And that sounds obvious. Maybe at times it's not that obvious because communication is in a particular moment. Uh, well, I shouldn't say communication, but the way that you feel about someone happens in a particular moment, and you may have a certain expectation in that moment, maybe that's not what you communicated all along. So as you talked about, you retrace your steps from the point of disappointment to the point of appointment and see what went wrong. It could be the case that you're very clear today on what you wanted. You've had a relationship with the person for the past year, and in that year, you've changed your mind. They've seen you go from one direction, one objective, to another, to a third, to a fourth. So even though you feel extremely certain in your seat today, that entire buildup and that process over time may not have been clear. And just the way that we're wired, we ignore that. We pay attention to what we're feeling now. We're not necessarily considering all the history that led up to it, all the signals, either explicit or implicit, that we've been giving off and whether we were clear all along in terms of what we wanted. Part of that is the way that we communicate. Part of that might be consistency. Part of that might be checking in so if something does change, let the other person know uh, so the expectations are evolving at the same pace. So having that clear understanding, as you pointed out, is very important. And as I'm thinking about some of the interactions that I've had, that could be a problem as well. Maybe I'm clear today on what I need, but that clarity 
might be a more recent phenomenon. And perhaps the other person really didn't see that or they get it now, but they weren't so sure about it earlier on. And the dynamic in my mind has shifted, not in theirs, because I didn't have that consistency and that clarity. So that point about knowing yourself is essential. Once you know yourself, you have to clearly communicate your point of view, get away from that Beavis and Butthead type. <laughs> I love that analogy, by the way. But that kind of, uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, do this. Yeah, whatever. It's cool. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. No, be extremely specific on what you need. That's important, so you got to convey it. And third, which I think is the most subtle, and I'm curious on your input over here, is what the other person is internalizing. So even if you are clear on what you want, even if you communicate that clearly, if, as you're saying, people have a different set of customs, a different way of interpreting the world, a different context, you may be speaking a different language. And that's probably what I've been feeling most recently, that it's almost like the same words mean totally different things to different people, depending on where they're coming from, who they interact with, what field they're in, what their history is. And that's the part that is interesting to me. I think it takes a certain amount of awareness of not just the other person, but the context that they operate in, the rules of the game. So if you don't know the rules, how they internalize information, how they operate, you're not going to be able to have that effective communication. Talk us through that, Z. We talked a bit about the second point, which is clear communication. But the first point and the third point, so number one, being clear on what you want. Number two, understanding how to transmit that idea into terms that the other person can understand. And maybe another way to say it is how to speak their language. What's the best way to go about those two things? Well, the, 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 one of the ways that I found over the years of just working with people who were very different than me and then getting along with those people is observe, listen, know your intention, acceptance, and take self-ownership. Let people be who they are. And if you have trouble with that, you own yourself so you can adjust, you can adjust your dynamic with them. They don't have to adjust to you. Um, they will adjust to you if they prefer to be around or near you. They will adjust to you. If they have a genuine desire to be around you, they will use some manner of that technique to embrace who you are. You follow me? You follow what I'm saying? So, as we learn to navigate the landscape of human beings, what do we learn from our families? Well, in your family, you have people that are very, very, very different than you. Very different than you. And you learn to get deal with them. You may have a sister or a brother that has a very different temperament. And you know to get along with that person. Whenever you're in their company, you have to start a stopwatch. And you know that they're good for an hour. And after one hour, it's going to get weird. So you know at about 45 minutes, you start checking your watch and setting up your phone with fake text that you got to get out of there. Or you walk in a little later than you planned so you can leave a little earlier than you intended in order to maintain the grace and peace of that particular interaction. Is that right, Vin? Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely right. Uh, this point that you have about people adapting to you, the people that you choose, that, having friends versus having family or having a spouse versus your parents or your siblings, it's very different. So you're right. When you do choose people to be in your life, you choose them because you want to be around them and you're more willing to work through whatever the issues are, to hash things out, to have uncomfortable discussions. And this ties a bit into the last podcast that we did, uh, being able to go through difficult periods so you come out stronger on the other side. That syncs you up. Once you delve into how someone else operates, 
you can share your perspective versus their perspective, suddenly you say, oh, wow, I've got some clarity. I know how they operate. I know how I can communicate with them. And it's almost unconscious that over time, you spend enough time together, you're willing to adapt to the other person, as you mentioned, Z. You just have, it's almost like a sixth sense. I think you have a certain understanding and context that you never used to have. With my wife, I think about that a lot. Sometimes she gets very upset about certain things. Earlier on in our relationship, it would always freak me out. I would look at this and I would say, why is she flying off the handle? Why is she getting so mad about things that I think are really trivial? And is she just crazy? <laughs> you know, she, well, What is up with this person? Why would someone act this way? But that was my perspective. As I got to know her better and I learned a little more about what went through her head and the anxiety that she felt, and I started paying attention to some of the patterns, I realized, okay, it's not that she is trying to be mean. It's that she feels threatened. And every time she feels threatened, she seizes up and she gets on the offensive. That's her way of dealing with things. So if I know that, number one, I'm not going to take those outbursts seriously. I know where they're coming from. I know that it's not something personal. I know it doesn't always reflect who she is all the time. It's a, a reaction to what she's feeling at a specific moment in time. And I can also do my part to make things more peaceful, more calm, make her feel more secure, and then she's less likely to be in that state to begin with. So having that mutual understanding and investing in the relationship, I think naturally gets us to that point where we're speaking the same language. If you can't do that, what you're saying is correct. How do you manage this most efficiently? You know that you're not going to get to a point of high compatibility there are some people, maybe their character is different than yours. Their temp temperament is different. You're good with them for a period of time, as you said, but after 30 minutes, you have to get the hell out of there. But you still don't want to blow up the family relationship. You got to spend a weekend over there or at least go out for a meal. How can you manage that as efficiently as possible? And it's probably not that hard if you observe. Uh, I think uh, sometimes when we slight people, it's because we're not paying attention to what they value, to what their customs are and traditions are. If you spend the mental awareness to figure that out, pick up on it, it doesn't actually take that much effort to smooth things over, make them feel valued, and you can still get out. <laughs> you can still wrap up dinner in 45 minutes and go and watch your Star Trek movie or whatever the hell you want to do. But it does take a certain amount of awareness of the situation, a certain willingness to say, let me approach this with an open mind. Let me learn about who these people are, what they care about, why they act the way that they do. And that gives me a set of instructions or a playbook to use to manage the interaction. So it makes a lot of sense. In a moment, at times, it might be difficult. Because you get riled up, you don't always have that context. Things get heated. They spin out of control. Uh, so I'm, again, just thinking about this from my own standpoint. If I'm able to have that awareness more, maybe it's almost going into every single relationship. I don't know how formal we need to be, but do you want to have a checklist of things that you should be doing? Uh, just understanding customs, understanding the way that they think, doing some investigation beforehand even before you meet the person, so you know who they are, what they're about, what the best way is to relate to them. You probably get better outcomes for yourself. You make them feel better. Everything runs a lot more smoothly. What's your perspective on that? Well, you also, Vin, my, my take on it too is I listen, as I listen real closely to people. Nobody is here to be another person's ideal person. We choose to adjust ourselves to fit a place that we want to fit in. Then we choose to nurture. And it's something that I learned having very, very dear friends is that you have different, I've talked about this before, you have different orbits of people. It's like walking across the tundra, right? 
there are these deeply packed glaciers that you can walk across. And then there are certain areas of the glacier that are thawing and then you're on thin ice. And it's okay, it could bear so much weight, but if you put too much weight on it, the whole ice shelf will crack and you will fall through into freezing water, right? So you have certain people that you're on thin ice with. Know who those people are and you know that they can only bear so much of you and you can bear so much of them. There are other people that are, are literally like standing on bedrock. You have those people in your life that there's nothing one way or another that will um, create a problem in that relationship. You could go through whatever you're going through and they're right there and they're solid. There are other people that there's certain things they just don't want to know and you don't want to know about them. They're limited. They're, you know the boundaries of every relationship. Know, know how far you can go. When, know when you're going to overburden that, that, that ice shelf and crack through or you're going to be on thin ice with someone. I have relatives. I have different people I know that there are just certain topics you don't discuss with them. Just certain things you just don't talk about. Other people, there, there's no limit to what you can share and talk about. And for my personality type, I can speak for me, I really don't want to always filter what I say to people. But I know that there are people in my life I need to do that with. So I immediately have that register in my brain that, okay, here's a person I can say certain things to. I also know in daily dealing with clients that there are certain people you can talk a certain way with and there are other people you say the same thing to, they'll storm off, they'll call, make a complaint and give you a bad Yelp review, right? And I prefer not to deal with people like that because I don't have to. If I had to deal with people like that in order to maintain the integrity of my own being, I would know how to limit my interactions with them. I would be very superficial, I would speak in light platitudes and things like that. I just wouldn't go deep. It takes a lot more energy for my temperament to, to censor myself like that with people. So I'd have to weigh the value of that in a monetary way. Financially, is it worth me um, filtering my speech and my interaction in order to keep this patient or client? Usually not, right? That's why you know I'm broke all the time because I'm not gonna, I, I, I'm not made that way. And there are other people that you and I collectively deal with that have a shady side to them. But that shady side isn't necessarily a malicious side. It's how that person survives in a challenging world. So they have a certain personality and temperament in order to gather their resources, to um, maintain relationships, maintain, tra maintain certain transactions. So you have to always do the thing that you do. You have to check, recheck, and then trip, do it in triplicate to make sure that everybody understands. I mean, that's why the law was made, because where human clarity ends, the law begins. Very clear contracts. You got to read the dotted line. You got to read the fine print. And now we understand. People go through that in marital situations, relationships. Look at the things that people go through in divorce settlements. I mean, they bring in forensic accountants to go through divorces. These are people you were, somebody you were sleeping with, you were intimate with. Now all of a sudden you have to have a moderator, a, a liaison, a mediator, a lawyer to deal with things that you never dealt with because all while you were in that relationship, you were walking on thin ice. And once you broke through the ice and you had to deal with the, the, the coldness of humanity, you had to bring in all these other people. So to not get yourself in that situation, know what, know the ground you're standing on with the people you're with. If you're with your partner, uh, it's a good thing to say, hey, here are things that are acceptable and here are things that are unacceptable. Some of the biggest challenges you know, I have in married life is just really being boringly clear on what we want from each other, right? And then when you have kids and all that, you, you, you have these other people involved in your intimate life that affect the time you can spend with one another. And that has to be navigated. That has to be negotiated. It has to be um, assessed in those original 
demands or requisitions you had on one another in order to promote harmony. So going back to the whole conversation we had is meeting people where they're at, but people are fluid. They could be one place now and one place somewhere else later. So you have to find that realm of variances that you want to work with. So if you're, you have a friend, there, you have different kinds of friends. There are certain friends you don't discuss certain things with. I don't call those friends. I call those associates. But then there are the people that are really dear to you that they know you like they know themselves. Then there are different business associates that have transactional relationships with you that may overlap into friendly social interactions, but you have to remember that the, business, the relationship is first based on transactions. First and foremost is based on transaction. And that's where it can get very disappointing if you don't remember that. So I have clients, I'm, I, I, you know, maybe we have common interests, we hang out a little bit together, but the bottom line, on Friday I need them to pay their bill. And they'll say, well, you know, we hung out, we went uh, to the race car track together, maybe I can get some free life-saving treatment. Maybe I can get you to open the studio in the middle of the night. No, nah, no, nah, that, that's not cool. Certain people, yeah. It may be uh, beneficial overall for the relationship, for business, or whatever it is. So each case we want to look at, yet the big thing is accepting people and meeting them where they're at, not where you want them to be. You follow me, Vin? Yeah. Yeah, I follow you. If we go back to the title of this conversation, meeting people where they're at, and this whole idea of just accepting other people, it's common advice. Uh, that's familiar ground. It, what I'm taking away from this conversation is how do you operationalize that? How do you actually do that? And that's where I'm going to go back to what we've talked about. Just give a quick recap of the conversation for our audience. To me, number one, it's being clear on what you want. Number two, communicating that clearly. Number three, speaking the right language. Is so making sure that the other person can understand what they're saying. And fourth, as you just pointed out, recognizing a certain amount of fluidity and tolerance because what someone wants or the way they behave today might be different than the way that they behaved yesterday. So if we take that as a set of principles and then you ask, okay, what's the best way to do that? Well, you have to know yourself. You have to be aware. You have to listen. You have to ask questions. You have to invest a little bit getting to know what the context is, what the other person is all about. And then once you get that, you can make your own decisions. So you can decide, is this a relationship where I want to go deep and invest a lot of energy? Or the way you put it, Z, if you just have an associate, is it going to be something that's more superficial? And then my objective is, how can I just get through this with the least amount of energy possible? And that might be a perfectly acceptable way to operate. Uh, so if we keep those guidelines in mind, hopefully it adds some ease to our interactions with different people Maybe we're able to get better outcomes out of it. I'm going to take some of these ideas away and apply them in my own life. Maybe it'll smooth things over. And for me, I think really beyond smoothing things over, just giving me peace of mind. Disappointment is something that, that weighs on you. It feels like, oh, my God, I was cheated or I was betrayed or why are people letting me down? And it becomes very personal. It's not a good way to feel. If we just put all of that aside, drop the expectation and think, more practically, what's the right strategy for dealing with this person at this particular point in time? The real value to me is that gives me some peace of mind. It gives me just the ability to go about my day not feeling victimized and weighed down. And that gives me a certain amount of strength uh, and vitality uh, that I'm much happier with uh, instead of feeling like, oh my God, the world is out to get me. Well, Vin, this is what I do. Whenever I feel that that sense of disappointment, as you said, with people, um, I always check myself. And so I want to make sure that I live by that maxim of I, I accept you for who you are. That doesn't mean I like what you're doing. That doesn't mean I agree with what you're doing. That means I own myself and I can stand in the center of my own identity. And as I interact with others in the world, I can value them in a way that I value myself. Again, valuing 
is not necessarily uh, uh, liking, not necessarily um, uh, agreeing with. It's it's just the value of that. I value the semi truck coming down the street in my lane. I value the impact it can have on me. So I'm going to avoid that accident. I'm not going to yell and curse and get road rage and stand in the middle of the truck and wave the truck down. Hey, he's on the wrong side of the street. I need to make adjustments. I need to make adjustments. So with people in my life, when you feel that hurt and disappointment, own it. No one controls your feelings. It's a strange way that we talk nowadays when we talk about people. I was listening to the, a political uh, diatribe the other day, and there were these politicians. They were talking about how they felt and that someone had made them feel this way. And the fact that it was even a topic on the news was disturbing because we don't control. No one controls how you feel. You control that how you act upon it. Yes, people can do all sorts of triggering, igniting, creating an alchemy of anger within us, but inevitably it's up to you to do something. When the World Trade Center was attacked, um, people felt all sorts of ways. And they went and attacked another country that had nothing to do with the events of the World Trade Center. They had nothing to do with it. So they acted on these feelings and they vented their rage at whoever they could. This is how we are as people. So you see somebody doesn't do what you want them to do or they don't behave the way you want and you vent rage. Or you could stand back, take a look at yourself, assess the situation as a whole. It doesn't take much time and go, okay, I get where they're coming from. I get why those people cheered the destruction of something that was important in the U.S. because we had always been cheering their destruction. So they didn't do it, but they didn't, they didn't care that it was done to the U.S. So, but, so you want to kill them because they don't care about the things you care about? Imagine that mentality. That's a sick mentality. So when I go through things and I feel disappointment... A lot of times it's because I wish people understood what I was going through. I wish people understood what it takes to run a small business during a pandemic time. We don't get government aid, government support. I have simply the goodwill of the people that care about me. And then they look and they say, I get something out of Z. I don't know what he's going through because, hey, I don't voice it. I rarely tell people that aren't within a certain range of me what's going on and I, I i have a certain way of talking to my wife because the way she reacts to stress so i may not say anything to her and i might have a friend that i reach out to and say hey things are rough things are really going things are challenging. or some people they they see z you, you're always in the best shape you're always fired up someone even said that wow when you teach it's just amazing i'm just you inspire me with your energy you know what you're online with me. You're paying to be a part of this because I teach and I can help you with your health or I can do a good wellness session with you. That's why you come here. You don't come to hear me bitch and moan about my life. So of course you're going to see that part of me. That's my relationship with you. You understand? That's my interaction with you. And in exchange for that, you, you buy the membership, you do all that, you get a lot out of it. And I get whatever we agreed upon. But don't be shocked if you find out that there's another layer to a person. Meet them where they're at. Not everybody is where you want them to be. I think we can just leave with that note. And if we accept people where they're at, we can do the thing we do best, which is adjust our positioning. Relocate ourselves. Be it with an intimate partner, be it with a family, a friend, be it with a crazy relative, a wild buddy, or simply just one of your patients, one of your clients, one of your students, and then save that deeper hole of you for those that are the closest to you. You know a friend when there is a, a friend when there's nothing that you have to buffer. There's no part of you that requires buffering to interact with them. So that's a rare 
interaction. Sometimes people don't even have that with their intimate partner. There are things that you'd rather not talk about with them because of how they react. If you have that situation, <clears throat> again, take a look at yourself and see why is that barrier there even in you. What are the things in you that would violate your sensibilities that you would rather not discuss or talk about? That then is the bar of true unabridged intimacy. It is a rare thing. Not everyone will experience it in their life. And that's okay. Meet people where they're at. Yeah, I think that's good, Z. That's why I come out to L.A., to meet you where you're at. <laughs> I gave up on getting your ass out to the East Coast. So that's my takeaway. So for our audience, for our audience, meet people where they're at. We can control ourselves. We can control our feelings. We can actually change other people if we know how to communicate with them. If we give something of value to them, they're going to adapt to us. Uh, but if we go in with the expectation that they need to meet a certain ideal that we have, number one, we're going to be disappointed. That's when we start walking around with this victim complex. Number two, we're not going to get what we want out of the situation, and there's going to be a lot of friction. Uh, but, Z, I love what you said. Own yourself. Be clear on who you are, what you want. Be clear on how to communicate, and go from there. Let's do it again next week, Vin. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.